Uh, thanks, Luke. Hi, everyone. You know, we've been in a series on uh, prophetic ministry, and one of the things that Wilson emphasized last week was that prophetic ministry is outwardly focused, and we're going to see that uh, today, look at some scripture about that later. But uh, what I want to do right now is introduce an, uh, an outreach event that we're going to have happen right now. And we have Jordan and Holly, who are leaders in the Blue Ash House Group. Would you guys like to come up front here? Let's welcome them up to the front, everybody. They're going to lead a team right now on an outreach. And they're going to take these two bags of groceries, uh, would like three people to volunteer, you're going to go out, get in the car, ask God to lead you, show us where to go. It might be to a park or a street corner or a house, or, and you're going to encounter a God moment where you get to give this food away to somebody that needs it and to someone that God's leading you to. Now, you will be back in time for worship. You'll be getting back here right at the beginning of worship and reporting in, and uh, so... It's, uh, it's an exciting thing. You really don't have to do anything except go along. These guys are going to do all the hard work. Uh, so you just, have to, you just have to ride along with them. So who wants to volunteer for this? Okay, then I need to say more. Where? All right, come on up. Come on up, Pete. Um, listen, you can listen to my message on uh, the podcast. You don't get to do this all the time. This will change your life. This will put more into your heart and soul than you will get by staying here today and listening to me, okay? So, other volunteers, come on. I at least need at least one more. All right, good, thank you. Come on up here. All right, we got three. Awesome. All right, we're gonna pray for you and send you out, and we're looking forward to when you come back. You'll connect with Wilson. We'll look forward to hearing about what happened, but... Uh, Father, we just pray anointing on these five. Holy Spirit, lead them. And just like you led Philip, and, and, you, and he had that incredible encounter with uh, the, the man on the Damascus Road. Lead this team right now to a, an incredible encounter that's prophetic, that is you speaking, that is you working and releasing the kingdom of heaven to earth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, there you go. You know, I, I, gotta, I have to say, we do this once in a while. We've done this before anyway. But uh, if you've never done anything like this, you've got to make that one of your goals. Just make this as a goal for 2017. I'm going I'm to take a risk. I'm going to go out on an, an opportunity like this the next time we have it. Or you're just going to create one yourself. Come by the church, get a bag of groceries. We'll pray for you. Anytime you can do that. And you go out, and we'll, we'll look forward to hearing about what God does uh, when you get back, okay? All right, so today, uh, we're going to conclude our whole series on prophetic ministry today. And, and I do want to start off with this, a real short joke, okay? It's not really even a good joke, so it's not going to take a lot of energy. But um, there was this uh, elderly guy who had some acreage, and he's out surveying his property one day. And he walks past a pond on his property. And a, a frog jumps out of the pond and speaks to him, talks to him, and says, Sir, sir. And he stops and he looks at the frog. And the frog says, If you kiss me, I will become your beautiful, loving wife. 
And so he reaches down, picks up the frog, and puts it into his pocket. And as he's walking away, the frog, you know, in desperation, cries out from the pocket, Sir, didn't you hear me? If you kiss me, I'll become your beautiful, loving wife. And he said, I heard you, but at this age, I'd rather have a talking frog. (laughs) Yep. I'm not that old yet. Today, what I want to do is ask this question, why a prophetic culture? Why? Why would we put it, why would we term it that way? I hope you've gotten a lot of that answer through the weeks that we've been uh, going over this. But today, why a prophetic culture? How does that honor God? How does that enable us to fulfill our mission? And I want to stop right now and pray and just welcome God's presence here for us to, to learn, for the Holy Spirit to teach us, for him to open our minds to see things, not just to hear them and know them as facts, but to see them as the reality of the kingdom on earth. And so, Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. We, just, we open our hearts and our minds to you. Teach us. We want to know more than just about God. We want, to know, we want to know you. We want to know the triune God. So reveal yourself to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so developing a prophetic culture, the why for that. I think the answer is really simple, or at least here's the short answer, okay? The short answer is this. Prophecy flows out of intimacy with God. Okay, it flows out of intimacy with God. And, and what it does is to impact the, heart of, of the hearts of others to give them a desire for intimacy with God. It's as simple as that. Prophecy flows out of intimacy with God and it stirs a desire in the hearts of others to have greater intimacy with God. It stirs hunger. And so when that hunger becomes real in a person's life, then they're willing to say, God, whatever it takes, I want to know you better. God, here's my life. Anything in my life that's interfering with me knowing you better, just take it away. You know, I give it to you. I'll walk away from it. I, don't, I want you. And so prophecy is foundational to everything that we are and everything that God calls us to as a church body. Because this whole thing of intimacy with God, really the presence of God, experiencing the presence of God and growing in intimacy, that's that's more than knowledge. It's more than factual knowledge. It is knowing. Okay, it's more than just understanding. It is knowing. It's knowing God and experiencing God's heart and life. I know when when I came uh, to know the Lord in 1971, um, you know, there's just these immediate changes that take place in your perspective and your outlook and your understanding of things. And, and very quickly, I just developed this desire, not only an insatiable desire to read and understand the Bible, but I wanted to experience God. When I read the things in the Bible of the Holy Spirit coming down on a group of people or on a person, I, I just said, God, I want that. I want that. And, and yet for years... I only had a couple of experiences that would be anything close to that. And one of them occurred when I was a brand new believer just a few months. And I went to a church service and a man was speaking at that church service who had been part of the Asbury College Revival. 
And they had had this great revival in, in like 1970 or so. And, uh, and the Holy Spirit had moved across that campus in a powerful way. And I remember as I heard that man speaking, just feeling God's presence. And it was like, like the air got thicker. It, it wasn't just I'm happy. It wasn't just like, well, the Steelers won the Super Bowl. It wasn't like, yeah, my kid's doing great in school. They made the honor roll. It wasn't anything like that. It wasn't like an emotional experience. That was secondary. There was this primary sense of presence in the room. It was tangible. And the, it's just sweet and wonderful. Now, that's what I wanted. But I wanted more, but I didn't get more. And I wasn't sure even that we were intended to get more. I just knew I wanted more. And it was years before I had another experience like that. And the second time, it occurred when I was leading a couple to Christ. And, and I'm sharing the gospel with them. And at this point, I'm pastoring in a church that we don't believe God speaks today. But I'm sharing the gospel with this couple. And just a presence enters the room. And, and it's, 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 it's like it's heaven on earth. So it's impossible to describe it in real clear language where I could put it in one sentence. And you could say, oh, that's what you're talking about. If it was that simple, then it wouldn't really be what it is. If, if anything, if I can just create a hunger in your heart right now to leave here today saying, God, I want to experience you. I don't want to just learn about you. I want to experience you. If I do that, then my mission's accomplished, okay? But in that case, I, this, this presence filled the room. And when I left, I had this, this other guy, the younger guy with me, and I said, did you sense that? What, what, and, and he said, yeah, and said, that was God's presence. He was welcoming these people into his family. It was sweet. It was awesome. But it was years before I really uh, came to understand that that's something God wants us to experience on an ongoing basis. It's not just an occasional thing. It's something that he wants to release to us in an ongoing way. Intimacy with him. Presence, being in his presence. It's a sweet thing. It's so sweet that in the Old Testament, this guy named Moses, who was uh, one of the great leaders of the Old Testament, he wrote the first five books of the Bible. And he was called a prophet, in fact. It says this, it says... uh, the, um, well, what, what's happening in this case is that the presence of God would show up for the nation of Israel. They're, they're, they've, they've left Egypt now, they're in the wilderness, and the presence of God would reveal himself to them in the form of a cloud during the day, and at night it was a pillar of fire. Now, Moses would go out to the tabernacle, which was the tent of meeting, the place that he went to meet with God. And the whole camp, the way they set it up, the camp would be able to look out and see the tabernacle. They would always put it out away from the camp. And when Moses went to the tabernacle, it says the whole camp would keep their eye. They'd be looking. And when, when the cloud would descend on the, on the tent, the tabernacle, the place of meeting, then they would all stand in the doorways of their, of their tents and worship. But what was happening out at that tabernacle was something that was not able to be discerned from that distance. I can imagine seeing it from that distance, seeing that cloud come down on the tent would have been a spectacular thing. But for the people that were there, it was something else. There was presence in the room. There there was an atmosphere that changed. 
And in so much so that uh, the young man that was Moses' assistant, what well, we're going to read about here, I'm going to read this first now, okay? So it says this, the tent came down, the, the presence of God came down on the, on the tent and filled the tent and Moses went into the tent. And then it says this, it says, thus the Lord, this is in Numbers 33, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses turned again to the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. All right? So Moses, God spoke to Moses face to face. In another place it says that God speaks to his prophets in dreams and in visions. But with Moses, I speak to him face to face as a man speaks to his friend, as it says here. And so Moses has met with God. Now Moses is going back to the camp with God's message for the camp. That's what made him a prophet. He walks out of this intimate face-to-face relationship with God, and he has to go back to the camp to tell them what God said. I mean, think about this. When you're with someone special and they say something, you want to tell other people about it, don't you? I don't know how many of you know um, uh, in the NFL a quarterback named Jim Kelly. Anybody know four-time, went to the Super Bowl four times in a row? He and I are from the same hometown. And uh, we, we saw Jim last summer and at a little bazaar that they were, a little fair they were having there. And I was talking to Jim. I, I don't know Jim well or anything. I knew his older brothers. But um, I introduced myself and we're talking. And I said, I'd like you to meet my wife. And, and Lori was standing probably from here to the other end of the platform away. And he turned and he just walked right over to her, took her hand, looked her in the eye. And he said, do you have problems with your vision? Anybody get that? What he was saying was, how did you get stuck with this guy? (laughs) I like to tell that. Okay, that's somebody who's well known, who who made a joke about me. And who said my wife was beautiful. He didn't say those words. But, I mean, why? If I'm in face-to-face relationship, intimacy with God, I'm in his presence. I want to come out and tell other people about it. And especially when God puts something on my heart for someone else. And, and, and he communicates to me, I have, this to give, I have this to give to Tina. I want you to deliver it. Now some people would say, well, why doesn't he just give it directly to Tina? Well, he does. He does. He gives things directly to us. But we don't have relationship if he doesn't give me something to give to her. You know, with my own kids... There have been times I've given something to one of them and said, here, share this with your, your, your brother. Well, why? Well, because I want them to connect. I want them to be in relationship. I want them to have community and, and heart-to-heart connection. And, and so it's out of intimacy that we, can, that we speak prophetic words. But here Joshua, the young man, when Moses goes back to the camp, Joshua won't leave. And why do you think that is? because of the presence of God. Even the residue of the presence of God. You know, the cloud lifts, but there's this, there's this residue of the presence of the Holy Spirit that just lingers. And, and listen, God is everywhere at once. The Holy Spirit is everywhere all the time. So when we say Holy Spirit come, we're not saying, you know, come from um, you know, come, come from uh, Wyoming, come over here. You're Wyoming. We're not saying traverse some distance, what we're saying is reveal yourself. 
And, and it is the revealed presence of God that, it, that, that brings this incredible sense of hunger for more of God. It satisfies the longing that we all have for God. You know, we're all created with this longing for God. He creates it in us. And as we, as we open up to it and we pursue it, it, it becomes greater and greater. And then as we share with each other, it stirs that longing in the hearts of others. And that's why prophetic ministry is so powerful and, and so essential for the church's life because it stirs longing in others for God. And so this idea of intimacy and presence of God, out of that comes prophecy, uh, words spoken that are anointed by the Holy Spirit that bless other people, that create hunger in them, words spoken. Sometimes it's symbolic acts, but normally for most of us, it's just gonna be simple words spoken. The other night, our family, our whole family was in town for Thanksgiving, and uh, we took the whole family and the grandchildren, we went down to the zoo to see the lights, and, and um, towards the end of our time there, there was a fire, and there was a young guy working for the zoo tending the fire, and we went over by the fire I think we were roasting marshmallows they, that you could buy thing to make s'mores. And um, there's this young guy standing there talking and, and we're talking. And then I said to him, you know, I think something God wants to say to you is that he has put something in you to attract other people to you. And that that's something he's going to use in your life. And, and it's really something God has put in you. So he immediately responds to that. You know, he's a believer and he's not heard that from anybody before, but he's seen that in his life. And he said, usually I don't like people to come to me, but, but I said, well, I said, you're going to start liking it more. I said, you're going you're to start enjoying having people come to you because that's what God's put in you. Just a simple thing like that. But it impacted this young guy's life. I look back over my lifetime and I think of moments like that where people said something to me, people I didn't even know, and it, it stuck in my heart. And it directed my life, I mean, positive, good things. Like one of them was, stop looking for the woman that is right for you and start focusing on becoming the right man for her. I heard that when I was still single. And boy, that stuck in my mind. I thought, okay, that's good. I, I, I and, and so it's, it's speaking words that come with life and give life to others. And I could see in this young guy a stirring in him as I spoke to him. And so... Intimacy produces prophetic words that are spoken. It touches people's hearts. It, it, it gives people reassurance and comfort and help and builds them up. But it also creates desire. It, it be, if God thinks that of me, that, I mean, that lights my heart up and it makes me want more of God. It makes me desire him more. And so as I desire him, I, that, that touching of the heart leads into intimacy. I'm experiencing the presence of God because he's speaking to me right now. And it leads into intimacy and a greater desire for presence. And then when that greater desire for presence begins to grow, that, and that expands in the heart of a person, that is when other things fall off. That is when, you know, I don't have to, I don't have to exaggerate stories about myself any longer because I have God. I don't need the attention of other people. I don't need to try, I don't have to tell this lie in order to make myself look better. I don't have to be impatient with this person because I think they're dishonoring me or whatever. I, that doesn't make it, because I've got God. 
And I'm focused on knowing more of him. And the more I desire him, then the more I'm willing to say, Lord, here I am. Here I am. Whatever you want to do, here I am. Take my life, make it what you want it to be, because here I am. And that's what the Bible talks about when it says we're to put our lives, our bodies on the altar as a living sacrifice. You see, it's prophetic ministry that produces this. And then the end result of that is worship. The end result of that is a worshiping community empowered by God to change the world. And all the gifts are valuable. All the gifts are special and important. And and that's why Paul says, seek the gifts, especially prophecy, especially that you might prophesy. Because prophecy is the one that is the most foundationally resting in this intimate, direct connection with God in his presence. And it's that gift then that energizes all the others. Whether my gift is serving or leadership or teaching or, uh, or uh, hospitality, whatever it might be, managing, organizing, whatever it might be, those are all energized by the presence of God when that individual who possesses that gift says, yeah, I'm going to pursue prophetic also because that's, that's me being in the presence of God and me being intimate with God. And then I walk, I walk out of that tent, that place of meeting with God, filled with his presence and spirit, and it energizes everything I do in life. And so prophetic ministry is, um, is the foundation of it all, and it, it is just most crucial and uh, really most wonderful, I believe, of all the gifts. And I'm, I'm going to say a few more just general things here in a few moments, but... Um, I'm skipping over a couple pages here. Here, let's just hit this, okay? The time I have remaining. I have five reasons that prophetic ministry is so important. I mean, I've already given you most of the reasoning here. But just to enumerate, number one is this. It's only Holy Spirit revelation that changes lives, okay? It's only Holy Spirit revelation that changes lives. Let's go back to look at... um, a verse I had earlier in the slide, guys, uh, Ephesians 1, 16 to 18. Let's throw that up there right now, okay? Thank you. He says this. He says, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. Now he wants to ha- he wants us to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And the word knowledge there I think a better translation would be in knowing him. Because the word knowledge there means experiential knowledge. It doesn't mean intellectual head knowledge as we would typically take it in our culture. But the spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowing him. And that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. You see, it is revelation from God that opens the eyes of our hearts. That is what enables us to hunger more for him and then to have changed lives, be set free from things that bind us up because being in his presence releases his life and power into our lives and enable us to grow as Christians. And so lives change not based upon the best argument. 
not based upon the best system out there. And I'm afraid that in a lot of Christianity, what we're really teaching is, is just basically the best human approach to how your mind, how your life should change. If you're impatient, then do this. Put a rubber band on your wrist, and every time you're impatient, snap it, and then your brain will start to associate impatience with something negative, and you'll avoid impatience. That's not a bad human technique, I suppose, but it's a human technique. And it is not something that changes the actual heart. All it does is rearrange the junk. But revelation changes us. And so what, what I want is not to snap my wrist with a rubber band. I want God to show me what I'm believing about life that is wrong that makes me feel like being impatient is right. I want God to reveal to me what's the root of this impatience. How did it get into my heart and into my life so that it can be removed and taken out? That takes revelation for that to happen. And it's, um, well, uh, Luke 24, 45, uh, it, Jesus did this. He had spent three years with his apostles. And then it says he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. You think these guys didn't already know the Bible? They were Jews. They, they knew the Old Testament. They had portions of it memorized. And yet they didn't understand it. It took revelation. Their minds had to be opened so they could understand it. And again, um, in 1 Corinthians 4, uh, chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, it says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Later he says, the kingdom of God doesn't consist simply of words, but power. So it's not just having the best argument or the best approach to speaking publicly. It is power of the Holy Spirit that changes our lives. And that's, that, that's what uh, Paul was saying there and insisting upon. Now, Jesus said this. He said, it in, this is in John six sixty three. He said, it's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. You can read into that when you look at what Paul said. All the best arguments you can come up with, humanly speaking, profit nothing. You know, all of the best things that we can come up, come up with in, in our own wisdom and strength, profit nothing. Human strength, human ways, profit nothing. But then he says this, the words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. See, Jesus, don't get me wrong, Jesus was not illogical in the things he said. He just spoke from heaven's logic. He, he spoke words from heaven. And because they're from heaven, it takes revelation for us to really grasp the significance and the truth of them. But he says, my words are spirit and life. And listen, he calls us to follow him. He sent, he sent these same apostles out to go out on his behalf and to do the stuff he did. And then he sends, later he chose 70 others to go out on his behalf and do the stuff that he did. And so you and I are called into the same intimacy with God that Jesus had. In fact, Jesus said at one point, he said, I don't, I don't call you servants anymore. I'm going to call you friends because I've told you everything the Father has told me. And you see, Jesus had camped on that and made a big issue out of that, that I, know, I, I am in intimate relationship with the Father. I know that because he tells me everything. 
We share everything with each other. So Jesus now says, you're being called into the same intimacy with me and the Father because I'm sharing everything he gave me with you. And so prophetic ministry really is following in the footsteps of Jesus and speaking words that give spirit and life. Speaking words that are anointed by the Holy Spirit. And it it takes the Holy Spirit's revelation to change lives. Second thing is this. Christian life is supernatural from start to finish. And this is the case. A prophetic culture is a culture of Holy Spirit ministry and life. It is supernatural. And it's, it's supernatural from Galatians 3. Listen to this. Apostle Paul said to the Galatians, he said, Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Well, the answer to that is hearing with faith. You gave that message, we believed it, and the Holy Spirit came and slammed us, and we experienced his presence in that powerful way. And he says, well, okay, if you experience the Spirit through faith, why do you think now you're going to earn the Spirit through works? Because that's what they were doing. But he's telling them, listen, the Christian life is supernatural from start to finish. But for many of us, it's like, okay, God, thank you for that supernatural work on your part. I am forgiven now. You give me a new heart. Okay, I can handle it from here. I got it now, all right? I got your word. I'll read your word, and I'll just, I'll just gut it out. I'll use willpower to obey your word. And, but th- that's not the way it is. That's going on in the flesh. That's going on in my own strength. We've got to have the presence of the Holy Spirit. And uh, as I've already shared, prophetic ministry releases the life and presence of the Holy Spirit. So third, prophetic culture flows out of our identity in Christ. It's part of who we are, who he made us to be. Uh, John 1.12 says, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right, that means authority and power. He gave the right, the authority to become children of God. And so we become children of God at the moment that we receive Jesus. Our DNA is changed. And then we have the authority of God on our lives to walk that out. And so it's, uh, it flows out of our identity in Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 12, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. So he's talking about you and me. Are you a believer? Do you, are you, do you believe in Jesus? Have you received Jesus as your Savior? If you have, then you should be looking at your life and saying, God, there's got to be more. Because Jesus said, I'm going to do the same things he did. I don't see me doing the same things he did yet. And so that very thing right there creates a longing in my heart to say, God, I've got to know you more. I've got to come more into your presence. I've got to become more intimate with you. And so the, uh, the, the uh, prophetic ministry is just part of our identity And a prophetic culture is what our world needs. That's the fourth reason. A prophetic culture is what our world desperately needs. Our world doesn't need more of the same just talking about God instead of about new cars. Okay? It doesn't need more of the same just talking about God instead of sex or instead of vacations. It doesn't need more of the same. What it needs is a people that live on the basis of supernatural presence. That's what our world's desperately seeking and desperately needs. Now, 
here in 1 Corinthians 14, 3, says this. The one who prophesies delivers a message to people that builds them up, encourages them, and comforts them. That's the primary flow of New Testament prophecy, to build up, to encourage, and to comfort. And most of us here can just say, all right, I'm just going to live in that realm for the next few years. I'm just going to learn how to do that really, really well. I'm going to learn how to, to speak those words that give life like Jesus did, Holy Spirit anointed words that build up encourage and comfort. And to build up means gives, gives an understanding of true identity, of true purpose in life, of what they're called to, of who they are. Listen, our culture today is facing a real identity crisis. That's why this whole thing with, you know, how do you identify sexually? Do you identify as a boy or a girl. It doesn't make any difference what, what your physical being is, but what, what are you? Well, I, you know, I identify with this or with that. There's so much confusion. That's all deceit of the devil. That's all satanic deceit. And the world needs to know. They need to have spoken to them words that affirm who God says they are. What, what, what it means to be created in the image of God and that there is an open invitation for them to walk into a living relationship with God. That's what the world needs. Now, 1 Corinthians uh, 14, these are real key verses for this whole series. This is, this is kind of where it all started with me, where uh, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church that is having a lot of gifts expressed and they really valued the gift of tongues highly, which I value the gift of tongues highly and I would desire that everyone in this room uh, is either praying in tongues every day or you're saying, God, I want that gift. And th- that, that's a wonderful thing. But he says more than that, more than that, I want you to desire prophecy. And then here he says, if all, pro- if all prophesy, meaning in the church, if everybody is walking in prophetic calling and prophetic anointing, everybody in the church body, if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he's called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. All right, now, if everybody prays in tongues, what he's saying there is this. Here's how, I, here's how I'm applying it anyway. You pull up in the parking lot, and someone out there is telling you where to park, and you get out of their, your car, and they greet you in tongues in, in a prayer language. You're going to think, that's odd. Now, that person, they must have given that job to someone from another country. Then you come in, you walk through the door, and the person at the door greets you in another language. That's odd. You come in, and someone with the program hands it to you and says something to you in another language because they're all praying in tongues. They're all speaking in tongues. And then the announcer speaks in tongues. That person's going to go away thinking, these people are what? Crazy. But if that guy in the parking lot is just, he's just come out of the presence of God. He's walking in God's presence. And somehow he smiles and, and just expresses some kind word to you that has the anointing of the Holy Spirit on it. Then you think, hmm. You might not even think anything. You might just feel really comfortable. And then you come up to the door and someone else there in a natural, loving way it, who's walking in the presence of the Spirit welcomes you into the place. And then the, I told Luke today before we came up to do the announcements, I prayed for him and, and just said, look, what you're saying is just as important as what I'm going to say. 
your words need to be anointed with the Holy Spirit just as mine. And, and if, if everybody here is sensitive to the Holy Spirit, that doesn't mean everybody you walk up to, you give them a prophetic word, okay? But it means I'm conscious of God's presence. And, and I am conscious of when I do need to say to someone, hey, you know, I, I might be wrong, but I think maybe God wants to say this to you. Does that make sense to you? And, and so it's done in a natural way. And what happens when, when you have a culture like that, he says everyone's convicted. The word convicted can mean convinced. It can mean either way. If it's convicted, then it's talking about things that the person has done that are wrong. If it's convinced, then that, that side of that word kind of leans a little more positively. But either way, it's this. They begin to see the mistake they have made by not coming to Jesus. They begin to see that the thing they've been looking for all along in life is Jesus. They begin to see that this other stuff they've been seeking and trying to find as the satisfaction for their hearts is futile and useless. They're convicted of that. This, I've been, that's all a waste. I need Jesus. So it's conviction and convinced kind of mixed together. And then he says this. He says they're, they're called to account. And what that means is they're brought to a point of decision, not because someone's shaking their finger in their face and saying, you must decide today, you might die on the way home in your car, not because of that, but just because they're encountering God. You encounter God, that brings you to a point of decision, you're called to account. And so that calling to account impacts the person's life. The secrets of their heart are revealed. Well, that, that might be some secret sin that, they, that they're now recognizing how, you know, they're seeing it in a totally different way now. And they're just saying, oh, why did I ever think that was valuable? I'm going I'm to, re- it might be that, but it might also be just longing and dreams of their heart. It might be that they remember their grandmother reading Bible stories to them as a child. They've always had some longing in their heart to go back to that moment. It, 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 it might just be something great in them, calling out the gold, as we put it. But the secrets of the heart come out, and they fall on their face. You know, you don't fall on your face in a public setting unless something dramatic is happening in your life. Here it says, this might be figurative, it doesn't mean everyone has to fall, but it's, it's a dramatic presentation. They fall on their face, and they declare God's presence is here. So this person's life is changed. This is why I believe prophetic ministry is so powerful and so needed today because people out there need an encounter with the living God. They, they don't need a new reason to change or a new methodology on how they could improve their life. They need an encounter with the living God. And it is a prophetic culture moving like this that gives that to people. And, and God's presence, they declare God's here. <laughs> I didn't know it. This is why I pulled in. You know, we had that happen, if, uh, I'm sure it's happened more times than I know, but I remember one, one person was driving by and thought, I need to pull in there. Pulled in here, walked in the building and started crying and couldn't get into the auditorium. First time this person had ever been here, crying. Now, I was so happy because there were people out there that knew what to do. And it wasn't like, oh, she's crying, stay away. 
you know, don't embarrass her by pointing out that she's crying. I mean, if they're crying, everybody can see that they're crying, all right? And so, but they came up to her and, are you okay? Anything we can do? Can we pray for you? And this person's life was changed. But it's the presence of God that people need. They need to come into a culture and an atmosphere that is filled with the presence of God. And here's the last thing. Prophetic culture elevates God alone as worthy of worship. So he says this. Uh, it says he falls on his face and worships. In that passage we just read. Falls on his face and worships. And this produces in people a desire to honor God, to glorify God, to worship God. And you know, in the final, conclu- in the final outcome of everything, it's not about me. I change when I realize it's not about me. It's about me worshiping God. It's about me honoring him. It's not about me feeling really happy because I just experienced God's presence. It is about me coming into God's presence and worshiping him because he is worthy of my worship. And even at times when I don't experience his tangible felt presence, he is still worthy of my complete wholehearted worship. And so this is the culture that we're aiming for here as a church body. Uh, This is the desire. This is what we want to see happen. And um, I I, uh, invite you into that more. We'll have more teaching on this down the road. But where there's this open flow of heaven's life and the presence of God, where we're sensitive to God's voice, where there's an expectation of Holy Spirit life, heaven breaking into earth. And my worldview changes I see heaven not as out there and earth here, and I'm saying, oh, heaven, come. I'm, I'm starting to see that heaven and earth are overlapping, that, that it's here, heaven is here, and it takes revelation from God to see that. But it's, worldview is so, that we recognize that we are all portals to heaven. I carry the presence of God, and therefore I can release God's presence And so I can introduce other people and just a radical outward focus that is all based on worshiping God. So we're going to move on in our service right now. We're going to receive our offering. The worship team's going to come out. So I don't know where Luke is right now, but he's going to come up and lead us through the offering. And uh, we're going to worship. I encourage you during worship, um, open your heart. Just say, God, I want to be like that guy we just read about in that passage. I want to be the person who falls on my face and declares God is here. God, you are worthy of my life. You are worthy of worship. That's who I want to be. So Holy Spirit, come as we give and as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, ushers, would you come on down, please? You will find a basket um, on the left-hand side If you would reach over there and grab that and pass it down, we'd really appreciate that. And put a whole bunch of money in it on the way. (laughs) You know, um, we're so hypersensitive to talking about money in the church today. And any of us that remember the 80s and all the scandals and everything, you know, are still probably kind of wounded by that. But it takes money to run a place like this. And if you're not giving, then you need to. Well, you need to, because it takes money to run this place, but you need to also, because that's how God made you. He made you to give and to to withhold when he's designed you to give. You're you're entering into a realm of blessing when you begin to say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you with all of this, 
and I'm going to give just to honor you, but I'm going to be excited about giving to see your kingdom expand. And so as we do that, there's something powerful that happens in our lives and as well as our finances. So let's all stand, okay, and worship. You're welcome to come to the front. And um, yeah, so Holy Spirit, come and meet us here.